Hey everyone, and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my book-loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests, and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. And obviously, based on the introduction, today is a book episode. I don't know that that intro says much about books. No, I just use a different intro, though, every time that we do a book episode, so that could be it. For the news in the book world, I think one of the things that I'm more excited about is that TorCon is officially back. They didn't do it last year because of COVID. Okay. But they're doing it in an online format this year. So from June 10th through June 13th, Tor will be hosting a virtual convention. The imprints of Tor Books, Forge Books, Tor.com Publishing, Torteen, and Nightfire We'll be presenting 10 panels featuring over 30 authors, including James Rollins, Joe Para, Catriona Ward, Gillian Flynn, and Seanan McGuire. I know you know one of those people, at least. Yes. And registration for the convention is now open, so you can sign up. I think it's through the tour website. That's exciting. And then a piece of news I'm less excited about. The Vampire Academy has been picked up for the second time, I will say, for adaptation. The book-to-movie adaptation that was originally planned failed financially the first time around, and so it's getting a second shot as a book-to-TV show adaptation. Vampire Academy by Rochelle Mead is being adapted into a TV series for Peacock by the Vampire Diaries creator Julie Pleck. As someone who loved the Vampire Diaries and the originals, I gotta say I'm not excited Julie Pleck is known for baiting people who ship specific characters together by pretending all season long that they're going to get together, and then at the end, one of them dies instead. So that was fun. At least they did that with my favorite couple in the spinoff series, the originals, which she also wrote for. So, Got it. But my feelings about her aside... The show will consist of 10 episodes, with Pleck as the writer, executive producer, and showrunner. The Vampire Academy series consists of six books that follow Rose Hathaway, who is training to be a guardian for her best friend, Vasilisa Dragomir, who is the royal princess in the Vampire Society. Seems like a lot. Yeah, I recently got rid of the first two books. Yeah. Because I read those, I think, right when they came out, and like immediately like just started going through them at a ridiculous rate and uh it's not really good i don't know why i was so willing to read them so quickly yeah but i think if they do it right it could be a better tv show than it was either a movie or a book series because from what i remember from the first two books it seems like it's very white so hopefully they would add some diversity in the tv show I'm sure they would. We're currently in 2021 after all, and they do like to do that a lot, which is good. And it can be done well. I think they did a decent job of it in Shadow and Bone. From a storytelling perspective, I can't speak to the actual representation because, you know, I'm a white woman in America. So What? I know. You see me every day and you don't even realize. Nope. (laughs) And another exciting thing is that This week, Neil Gaiman revealed a list of 12 cast members for the upcoming Netflix adaptation of his comic book series, The Sandman. The Sandman is a comic series about an occultist attempting to capture death to bargain for eternal life. 
But apparently things go awry, as you would expect it to. Kirby Howell-Batiste has been cast as Death. Mason Alexander-Park will play Desire. Donna Preston will be Despair. Stephen Fry will be Gilbert. And Patton Oswalt will voice Matthew. I haven't read it, so I can't tell you anything about the characters, but there's a full list of the people who have been cast and their pronouns and like what role they're playing in the work and what that character really is on the blog post that he wrote. As somebody who hasn't read it either, I really am not going to be enlighten anybody too much about it either, but that's exciting though. I always like book to something adaptations, so. Well, and like... A lot of people really like Neil Gaiman, and a lot of people really like his comic work. So I feel like this is going to be really popular, similar to how, like, Good Omens got treated. I feel like this is going to get the same sort of treatment. The beloved children's author Eric Carl passed away on Sunday, May 23rd at the age of 91. He was the author and illustrator of The Very Hungry Caterpillar and The Very Busy Spider. I knew The Hungry Caterpillar. I had that book. Yes. Yeah. He also illustrated for the book Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? Which was one of my favorite books when I was a very small person. When you were a tiny human? Yes. Yeah. Carl illustrated more than 70 children's books during his career. And in 2002, he and his wife opened the Eric Carl Museum of Picture Book Art, which I had never heard of before, but it sounds fun. Yeah. And then something that I know a few people in my life are going to be excited about is that Schitt's Creek is getting an official tie-in book from the series co-creators Dan and Eugene Levy. So is it like a continuation from where the show left off? No, it's like a behind the scenes more than anything. Okay. I was like, "Uh, that's weird. All right. So, Best Wishes, Warmest Regards, The Story of Schitt's Creek is an upcoming coffee table book set to publish in October through Black Dog and Leventhal books. Okay. The book will feature character profiles, a clothing catalog for David, a wig catalog for Moira, and highlights major moments from the six seasons of the show. Got it. I'm pretty sure there's also behind-the-scenes photos and interviews as well from what I remember of that article that I read. Yeah. And pre-orders are available now through the publisher's website. Exciting. Yeah. But that is all the major book news for the week. And I tried to come up with a tag that I hadn't seen around a lot, which means you might not be able to answer all the questions, but hopefully you can answer some of them. I have some answers. This time you at least did me the solid of sending it to me beforehand. So I'm not going to be like, oh, let me rack my brain in 10 seconds or less to give you an answer. (laughs) So I found the Sour by Olivia Rodrigo book tag. So it took the theme or like title of the song and came up with a question based off of that. Yeah. For the book tag. So for Brutal, the question was a book with a lot of teenage angst. I I feel like I've read a couple books that have a little bit of angst, but like not a lot of it. So I don't know that I really have a perfect answer for that yet. But I think that's just because I haven't gone that far into the YA series books. Because I'm sure when I get my fair share of them done, there'll probably be some options on the table. I would argue that since you've read the Divergent series, that could count. Especially in the later two books with Triss and Four and like their whole... yeah. 
oh my god, we want to be together. We can't really be together. We have secrets from each other. Stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, I agree. You haven't read a lot of books with teenage angst. I chose Before I Fall by Lauren Oliver. It was a really popular book. It became a movie. I read the book because it was becoming a movie and then decided I didn't want to watch the movie because I didn't enjoy the book enough. But it's about a girl who dies and then relives that day over and over to try to correct it so that she doesn't die. And a lot of it is really focused on, like, her relationship with her group of friends and, like, it's very angsty there. But it's also really angsty in, like, a romantic way. Okay. Which I didn't appreciate because I'm like, you're going to die in four hours and you're worried about this dude liking your hair. And like, I have a problem with this. I could see how you could have an issue with something like that. But it was very like teenage angst and I'm very much not a teenager. So that might've been why I had a problem with it. (laughs) Not that I don't understand the song Brutal because like that song's my jam. Yeah. And for the song Traitor, they came up with a question, a book that broke your heart, but you keep going back to. I had a struggle with this one, so I could understand if you struggled with this one as well. I've not really had a book that I don't like to go back to necessarily, so like, I don't know. Well, for me, I had to kind of twerk the question because I said, I'm not sure if this one counts because I haven't exactly gone back to it, but I was like gross, ugly sobbing when I was reading Kingdom of Ash and like it happened multiple times. So like I continued reading the book despite the fact that as my review says, Sarah J. Mass kept breaking my heart and putting it back together. <laughs> so while I was reading that, I think that really qualifies for that. Yeah. It sounds like it pretty much checked the boxes. And for driver's license, the question is a book that helped you grow slash become who you are today. So this was a tougher one for me because I read books, obviously, when I was younger, but, like, recollecting one that's really helped me grow necessarily, I wouldn't say there's really one that stood out to me necessarily. One series that I really did, like, enjoy and I think definitely got me onto books and being more excited to read books, so I guess growing my passion for reading them was the Chronicles of Narnia series when I was younger. I, I think it was honestly the first series that I, like, actually read all the way through if we're not counting like Dr. Seuss as a child, you know? So it it was kind of important, I think, to my childhood and my reading. Yeah. Motivation, I guess? I don't know. For me, I put that the obvious answer is Harry Potter, of course, but I wanted to give a better answer than that because if you picked up the series as a child, that's your most like nostalgic read, but it's also a series that helped you understand other people's perspectives as a child. But... Going away from the obvious answer, I said that I also think that reading Agatha Christie and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle also gave me a love for, like, detectives and crime stories. That doesn't mean that I like mysteries, because I feel like crime stories, detective stories, are very different from especially adult mysteries nowadays. Yeah. But I think a book that I really don't give enough credit for how it impacted me as a reader is The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. It's a really old book. I think it came out in the late 70s. And it's about a kid who is summoned to go over this guy's will with the family. And then they all have to play a game in order to get the inheritance, I believe. I read it when I was 10. So I might have some of that wrong. 
Which is why you probably like books like that right now. Yes. Yeah. So I think I actually read this before I got into Harry Potter. And I think this is sort of what opened the door for me to be willing to read books. Yeah. And then Harry Potter is the thing that got me to reading a lot of books, I feel like. For the song One Step Forward, Three Steps Back, the question they came up with is, a book which is slow-paced but so addictive you couldn't stop reading it. Some of the middle books of Harry Potter (laughs) were my answer. I feel like they got really, really dense and nothing was happening, and it was just like, and then all of a sudden something would happen, and then all of a sudden you'd be back to nothing happening again. So You and I have very different ideas about the middle books of Harry Potter, I feel like, but... I can agree that since they do get longer, they kind of stretch out. Yeah, you get these periods of like long, long setup for things that are happening. And you're like, okay, I know something big is about to happen, but when is it going to get there? Yeah. Seems like there are times where it's just really meh. Yeah. For me, I said the whole Written in Red series by Anne Bishop. This is an urban fantasy that has a lot of slice of life things happening. So... I think that despite the fact that it is so slice of life, it's really enjoyable because it is in a fantasy setting. Yeah. So you have all these weird and fantastical things happening, but also like her job is sorting the mail for the compound and like delivering it on the horses that live on the compound. So it's like, yeah, she's just delivering mail and she's a mail person, but also like the vampire is doing this and the crows are doing this and so on and so on. So it was pretty good. Yeah. I think I also described that series as like cotton candy reads. So like it's not a healthy reading choice, but I mean, you could read a lot of it very quickly. So it's sweet and easy to go down, but then you're like, ooh, I ate too much of that. Sometimes. Yeah. For the song Deja Vu, what is a book that makes you nostalgic? So it's one that we recently picked up the Leatherbound version of. Oh, okay. Um, Hatchet, which uh, was a book that I read originally, I think, like, back in the fourth grade. It was not an assigned book, but it was one of, like, four options we got to pick to write a book report on. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I'll write it. So keep that in mind when we read it that, like, it's not necessarily made for fourth grade age, but... That's when I read the book. Yeah. So. Well, and it also came out in the late 80s, I believe. And so, like, I feel like when we read that in the third season, that's going to be something that's sort of very hard for me to get into because I've never read Hatchet. And so I know that it's a survival story, but I feel like I'm not going to enjoy it as much as you are just because you do have the nostalgia that I don't have. Right. At the same time, though, like, it's... It's it's going to be good. I think you're going to enjoy it. I just don't know if you're going to, again, I think enjoy it as much as I do because of the nostalgia. It's attached. So. Right. Like legitimately, as soon as I saw it, I was like, we're buying this. And you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm going to go for a non-Harry Potter answer again because that is a very easy answer for me to have for a lot of things. I feel like in this questions, you could have answered a lot of them with Harry Potter just because of who you are. But yeah. That's why I specifically said going against that. <laughs> yeah. Um I'm going to say The Host by Stephanie Meyer. Uh, I reread this series, or this series, it's one book. I reread this book once every few years. So it's been with me at a lot of different moments in my life. And I know that's a garbage book. So like, don't at me because like, it's a Stephanie Meyer book. You have a lot of like undertones of women not having bodily autonomy and like 
all these other things. But I think if you can accept it for the garbage it is, it actually has a decent story with good character development and like the question of what makes someone human and what is humanity. Got it. But before you can get there, you have to accept that you're reading garbage, in my opinion. (laughs) But that book makes me really nostalgic because it came out when I was in college. So that's when I first read it. And then I read it at a couple like difficult points in my life since then. And so for me, it's just like my go-to every few years. Right. For the song Good For You, they came up with a question, a book you almost DNF'd, but it became your favorite. So this is a tough one for me just because I have not DNF'd a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a book on my e-reader that I always get pretty far into. It's one of the Tom Clancy series, but then like I don't either, well, A, I either run out of time because I'm trying to go back to whatever book we're reading for the podcast and that kind of just throws everything off, or I just get in this rut of like, I just don't want to read, you know, yeah. and it, it has nothing to do with the book. The book is great, but... It's just not enough to keep me attached, I guess. So I would say that. So it was, I think, the original Rainbow Six series. So I had to also kind of twist this because I very, very rarely DNF books. Like, for me, I think the last time I DNF'd was in February. But before that, it was at least three years ago. I was going to say it was while we were still in California, if I remember correctly. So... It's usually one book every three or four years will get DNF'd by me. Right. So it's not like I have a lot of books that I quote nearly DNF, but a book I wasn't enjoying that I grew to like eventually was Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty. It's a really popular book about a group of parents whose children all go to the same elementary school and they all live in Australia and they have like mommy drama. They also (laughs) have other drama going on in their lives. I think the mommy drama aspect of it was one of those things I'm like, I am not a fan of this. But then it also became like a little bit of a thriller, not over the top. And so I think that made it a more enjoyable book for me. For the song Enough For You, a book that lived up to your incredibly high expectations. So I really honestly don't try to overhype myself for books. Like I know that you watch a lot of YouTube videos where people are like, oh, this book is going to be the greatest book of the year or whatever. And Well, that's just making content. Right. And I usually try not to get like stuck in that hype situation. But I would say the one that you've hyped me up the most for was probably like the Vicious and Vengeful series. Yeah. And honestly, it lived way up to the hype. So I chose that series just because like... It's really the only book I ever felt like I was actually overly hyped up for. And then I was like, yeah, this just fulfills the hype. Like, If it's not bad, then it's not overhyped. Yeah. It just, it felt overhyped. Yeah. Yeah. I chose Skyward by Brandon Sanderson. This is the only series by Sanderson I've read, but he is so hyped up in the book community. I don't know if that's for good reason or not, because I've only read two of his books inside of one series, but Skyward definitely lived up to the hype. I don't know if Starsight, which is the second book, really lived up to the hype, but the first one did. For the song Happier, what is a book or series that caused a book hangover? 
I didn't know exactly what a book hangover was. I know what a hangover is, but well, I don't know what a book hangover necessarily it's is. It's when you read something that is so good that you really don't want to start anything after that because you just kind of want to stay in the world that you were in. I, I don't have that problem. I'm very good, like, as a gamer because I like to go between games back and forth. Like, shutting that door is not a problem for me, and well, I feel like it's kind of the same thing with books, I guess. You also have ADD. Yes, so that helps the cause. It a lot. really, really does. Yeah. I'm not like, oh, here I am in this world. I'm like, nope, on to the next one. For me, I picked House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Mass. I think part of that is just how long the book is and how like dense the book is. Because for me, there were some over the top things that happened at the end that made it so it wasn't a five star read for me. But I still, after I read it, had trouble picking anything else up. Gotcha. For the song Jealousy, Jealousy, what is a world you would sell your books to be a part of? This will come to you as no surprise, I think. I honestly feel like being in the Warcross universe would be pretty great. Yeah. Like prior, as long as you had money. Well, yeah, I don't know that it would even be a problem. I would still be, I would still like be working wherever I worked and I would be doing it more of a fun thing than the obsession that the world seems to have over it necessarily because that's just the way I game at least. I meant not being in the position that Amika was in whenever she hacked her oh, way yeah, into no. the games. Oh yeah, no, 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 yeah. Just in the world in general, like where a game like that would exist, I feel like would be kind of cool to have. Yeah. Obviously, I wouldn't enjoy the world with the weird ending that we're going to talk about later, but like everything leading up to that point I think would be really neat. I said, well, again, trying not to say Harry Potter because, <laughs> you know. I was a little on that boat as well because I was like, technically, like, Harry Potter is its own world, but it actively goes side by side with our world. Like, so. No, it's definitely a world of its own. It's just I don't want to say Harry Potter for all my answers. So I put Renegades by Marissa Meyer. It's a series where people have developed superpowers, so it's kind of a superhero book, but it's not like how we think of superheroes. Like, the powers are very different than we expect. Yeah. But also, you have the rise of the anarchists, who are, like, the villains, but it discusses, like, a morally gray world where, like, the superheroes are kind of doing bad things and the anarchists are kind of doing good things, but, like, whose side are you really on? Yeah. Also, I would hope I would be one of the people who gets superpowers. <laughs> For the song Favorite Crime, what is a favorite series with a really disappointing last book? There's not really one that's done that to me that strongly. I, would... I can name one. Which one? Divergent. Yeah, the the ending was a little bit of a flop. So yeah. I, I guess that would probably be my answer, I guess. Because it's, it's really the only one where I'm like, man, that was just... Not it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I felt that way at least. For me, I said the Daughter of Smoke and Bone series by Lainey Taylor. There was, in the first two books, so much like angst, which I love because I'm that person apparently, and <sighs> like so much great world building and so much drama. And then I felt like the third book just didn't reach the same level of the first two books. Gotcha. So for me, that was the, like, flop. And then for Hope You're Okay, what is a book that healed you slash your comfort book? 
which I'm glad they added that last part because I don't think any of my books have actually healed me. Yeah, that first part of it, I was like, um, like nothing's really healed me per se, but comfort book, honestly, I don't know that I particularly, again, have one necessarily. Like most books do that job pretty well. Like they take me out of the reality that is around me. And I think that is kind of comforting in a sense. So I don't know. I'm one of those people that can dive into worlds pretty easily. So it's kind of convenient to have that. Well, for me, I've got a few comfort books that I reread every once in a while. So like for me, obviously Harry Potter is a comfort read because I read that every year. Right. Also The Host by Stephanie Meyer and The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. They're books and series that stand up to reread, in my opinion, and that I feel comfort from getting back into this world that I know with a plot that I know that if something is happening in my life that I feel like I need to escape from, these are like the three places I would want to go first. Yeah. But that was the Sour by Olivia Rodrigo tag. It's definitely an interesting one, for sure. As for what I've been reading, I said I wasn't going to get through all three of these books, and then I did, because, hi, I'm (laughs) me. (laughs) Right. The first one was House of Dragons by Jessica Cluis. This is a 2020 book release. It's a new adult slash YA fantasy series that I rated four stars. Here's the thing before I discuss what this book is about. Literally, like, less than 30 minutes after I finished recording the podcast last week, I saw someone discussing how Jessica Cluis is kind of a garbage human being, and I was like, I have 100 pages left in this book. What is going on with this person? What is about to blow up in my face? And so it turns out, after I had purchased this book, she had come out and said some things on the internet that are, like, Some people would say are borderline racist, but I think they come from like a racist perspective and just went off on Twitter on someone and like you need to understand that your actions have consequences and your second book getting canceled is not cancel culture, it's consequence culture and you're not allowed to take the power that you have gained by becoming an author and wielding it against other people. And so, obviously, the second book got canceled. I'm not going to be reading anything else from her. She got dropped by her publisher. It was that bad. And so, I just wanted to explain that I now know about her and about what she did. Whereas last week, when we recorded, I had no idea. That she'd done any of the things that she's done. Right. So, now I'll quickly explain what that book was about. When the emperor dies, the five houses of Etrusia must send an envoy to compete in the emperor trials for grueling tests that will determine who will become the new emperor and who will die. But what happens when the wrong family members are called? The liar, the soldier, the servant, the thief, and the murderer must fight to survive. And I felt like this went in a different direction than I was expecting, and there were Moments where my expectations were constantly being subverted in a way that I enjoyed and not just in a way where, like, it felt like a cheap trick, not the band. I didn't think you meant the band, just to clarify. But I enjoyed it. There were some things that I felt 
felt immature as I was reading it in writing style, not necessarily like the actions of the characters, just how it was written. But like I said, there's not going to be a second book. I'm not going to read anything more from her. We're going to move on. And sadly, I moved on to a book that I absolutely did not enjoy. It was On the Rocks by Kat Adams, which is a 2020 book release. And it's book number one in the Dirty Tough Female series. And it's an adult romance. I ended up rating it 1.5 stars. Oof. Which is a sign that it's not only bad, but badly written. Yeah. And it came in the Kindle bind-up of 10 different standalone romances. And so some of them were the beginning of series. Some of them were just one-offs. But this was the first one in the anthology. And it's about a wild child taco truck owner and a stuffy restaurant owner who share a budding romance as they try to cope with their own past. Like, honestly, when you talked about this last week as what you were going to be reading, I was like, this will be right up your alley. Like, this is so silly and, you know, it's going to be cute. And then it was just, like, vomit. And, like, there were some moments where it was still silly and cute. Like, she and her friends like to go and do a poetry reading together in giant T-Rex costumes. Yeah. And, like, I love that. That's hilarious. And I love that these women own a taco truck and, like, they're running that together and, like, everyone loves their tacos, respects them, and, like, doesn't try to undercut them because they're women doing a taco truck. Like, right? they, as a town, hold them in, like, the highest regard. I wanted to like it, but there were moments where I literally turned to you and go, is that how male anatomy works? (laughs) Because (laughs) this is a romance, there were sex scenes, and, like... Some stuff was happening that I'm like, that doesn't just happen, right? No, no, it doesn't. And that's that's what was so funny about it. So I was just like... And this is a common complaint that people have just in reverse. Like, women hate reading romance books or even fantasy books that discuss female anatomy and get it wrong. You're right. And so now you have a woman writing a male character and, like, the anatomy is just... That's not how that works. Like, I wasn't offended. I was more so, like, just... I don't know. It, it just was so ridiculous that I was just like, oh, okay. Like, I'm not saying that those things can't happen. We're not going to go into what they were. But at the same time, it's like, the odds are very slim. Yes. <laughs> like... And another problem I had is that this is is roughly a 200-page book or novella, and there was a sex scene in every chapter, and in some chapters, it was just four sex scenes, like, strung out together, and, like, that's not what I wanted, and that's not what the anthology said it was about. Right. It said it had 10 romantic comedies, and that was not a romance, in my opinion, and that was not a comedy, in my opinion. I want to say it was more like porn without a plot. Right. And so 1.5 stars for that. And then I read a book that I had on my read it or leave it list for 2021, which just means I need to read it by the end of the year or I have to not read it, just take it off my TBR shelf. And it was Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. It's a 2018 book release that I believe I got in 2018 or early 2019, and I hadn't read up to this point. It's book number one in the Legacy of the Orisha series, 
and it's a YA fantasy. I ended up rating it three stars, so like it's not a bad book, but I definitely expected to enjoy it more based on the hype. And I think this is one of those books that is overhyped. Like, it's got too much hype for what it actually is. Eleven years after magic has been removed from the world, a legendary artifact comes to light that has the power to bring magic back. Zelly and her brother team up with a rogue princess to bring magic back to the world and to overthrow the hand of their oppressors. And as I was reading it, I would have to, like, hype myself up to pick the book back up because I wasn't wanting to read it but I needed to read it and so like each time I put it down I'd be like well thankfully I'm done reading for the day and like I normally don't feel that way when I put books down for the day that doesn't really explain why I felt that way but like the feeling itself should warrant the rating but I just felt like you know this was a debut novel and it felt like a debut novel which you never want to happen for someone putting out their first book. But it felt like a lot of stuff recycled from other fantasy worlds that I've read. And I am mostly a fantasy reader, so that might be why I feel that way. I've seen a lot of the things that she's done a lot. So I feel like for people who don't read a lot of fantasy, this might be a good book for them. Or, you know, in the YA age range... The characters are, like, upper YA, but they act like middle YA characters. So maybe a younger YA reader would enjoy this. Got it. But it does have good representation for POC characters. It has good representation for when there is systemic racism and oppression and, like, how you deal with that after 20 years of being oppressed and, like... It does a good job with the whole spectrum of diversity. Got it. But I saw someone saying, it's a diverse book. You shouldn't rate it less than five stars. And I completely disagree with that opinion. Well, firstly, you can't determine a book's quality based off of one thing. Yeah. Like, I I don't think any one thing should ever be like, this is the reason I gave it five stars. Like, right. There's, there's got to be more to a book than just one Rating category. System. Yeah. Yeah. And like if a book is a really good book and diverse, that might be something that pushes it into, into a five like star. the four and a half, five star range. Absolutely. But I'm not going to give something a five star when I think the writing isn't really well done. The characters are underdeveloped and there are themes that are good, but in the world, everything is just sort of recycled, in my opinion. I just, I feel like it's not deserving of five star at that point. Yeah. And I will say that I feel like there were one or two scenes in this book that will live in my head rent-free because, like, they're just that good. But it's just those scenes that are, like, five-star scenes. And the book is 525 pages long. Yeah. You can't just have a handful of scenes that are like, well, these were really good, and then everything else is just meh. But it was a book that was really hyped, and I feel like that might also have something to do with why I felt the way that I did. Hence why I don't listen to the overhype. Yeah. I like to give everything a fair chance. Just like redos of movies, for crying out loud. When they're redone, I'm like, just don't go into it trying to compare it, because it's just not going to give it a fair chance. See, I can't have that division in my head. Like, when we watched, for example, the Aladdin remake a couple years ago, I was 
still comparing it to the cartoon Aladdin because that was the one that I saw first. Yeah. And like there were a couple differences that I liked and a couple I didn't, but I still compared them. Yeah. I don't have that problem. I guess it's uh, a blessing. (laughs) As for what I plan on reading next, I've technically already started this one. It's Peter Pan by J.M. Barry. It was first published in 1904. And you can tell, by the way. Well, as you can with most old writing styles, I would imagine. The classic children's story about a boy who refuses to grow up and the children who visit his home in Neverland. And I am reading the Mina Lima edition as well, so I'm excited to see... The prettiness. How pretty it is, yes. It also has some sections where, like, you open this and, like, you spin that and, like, that's cute. I think if I were a child, I would enjoy those aspects more, but it is still a really pretty edition. But you're starting to realize that the book isn't necessarily for children, per se. I personally think that it is a little too violent and a little too misogynistic to read to children, in my opinion. But I just love how much during the week you've come to me and been like, is this the way the book is written? And I'm like, yes. I have not been reading it for that long. I've been reading it for like 24 hours. But it seems like you've come to me a lot being like, Oh, and then this happened, and I'm like, yes, it does. Yeah. Well, I've never read Peter Pan before. I just know, like, the Disney version of Peter Pan, and so far, they are pretty different. Disney Peter Pan is very doctored up and, like, happy-go-lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the book, he's a very cocky, controlling, misogynistic jerk, at least in my opinion. Yeah. But we'll discuss that next week. Also, we are both going to get a start on Wild Card by Marie Lu this week. Which I'm excited about because I'm ready to continue this book. Yeah. Well, it's the second book in the Warcross duology. It was published in 2018. It is, as you know, a YA slash new adult sci-fi. And Amika Chen must decide which side she's going to take in the battle between Hideo Tanaka, the creator of Warcross, and Zero, an internet hacker. As we'll find out later, something else. I didn't say because every time I say something in the what I'm going to read, you're like, well, don't give it away. So I was doing my part. And I was ruining your part. Congratulations. It's usually how that works. (laughs) And I will also probably start, maybe finish, maybe not, Blood Witch by Susan Dennard. It is book number three, technically, in the Witchland series. And it was published in 2019. It's a new adult fantasy, and in this one, Blood Witch Adewan must come to his monastery's defense when a horde of bloodthirsty raiders are bound to destroy it. And of course, we also feature the other characters as they continue with the things they were doing from book two. Yeah. I'm really enjoying this series, but it is really dense, and that's why I think I might not finish it, because... What usually takes me an hour to read takes me like almost two hours to read. So there's a chance I won't have the time to finish it. Right. But this week you have finished War Cross by Marie Lou. Yeah, it couldn't have been a worse week for me to try to do it because of my work-life balance this week has been... A problem. Chaos, to say the least. But I'm glad I finished it. I just feel like... The amount of memory of everything that happened in it is not going to be as stuck in my head as I'd like it to be because, like, I really enjoyed everything that I read. And at a certain point, like, I was getting near the end and you're like, are you going to finish it tonight? And I'm like, 
I, I want to, but it's 11 o'clock. Yeah. I'm like, I, I need to go to sleep because I have to go to work in the morning. And so it's just been a situation where, like, I didn't get to read it the way I wanted to read it, I guess. Because, like, there were times definitely where I'm like, I'm ready to continue just powering through these chapters. And I was unable to. So I felt like I had to end at a lot of really just crappy spots. Yeah. I'm like, it didn't affect the way that I enjoyed the book. I just think it affected... The flow of it for me a little bit. Well, and you also finished the book earlier in the week than you normally do. And part of that was you had to because of your schedule and our schedule outside of your work. But I feel like that probably has an effect. A lot of it. I had to basically cram it into the front half of the week. But we had discussed last that Amika Chin had gone to the meeting that Ren was going to have with Zero at the Pirate's Den in the dark web. Yeah. She had gotten there, and Zero showed up, and then that's where you ended for that week. Yeah. So this week, we're starting back there at the Pirate's Den. Zero had shown up. And basically realized that the person that's not supposed to see him was totally capable of seeing him. Before that happened, they were having this method of communication where Zero would bid two different bids and then someone would echo his bid from a different part of the pirate's den right in order to kind of confirm geographically where these people are right and i thought that was actually really interesting and pretty smart yeah it was creative for sure and then after zero finishes all their bidding they realize that they're looking at amika and amika's looking at them and that's not supposed to be possible. Right. And Amika sets up a meeting with Hideo to discuss what she had just experienced. And in order to do so, she misses out on some, like, bonding time with her teammates. And I think that's when they start to realize, like, something's weird with her because she's always been kind of, like... Distant? Yeah. It was when they were playing Mario Kart, if I remember correctly, on a giant screen. Something like that. Yeah. And so they end up going out to dinner together to discuss all the things. And I feel like this is the moment when their relationship goes simply from employer-employee to more of a, like, romantic relationship. Yep. And, of course, he had rented out the whole restaurant so that he could have a private dinner. But it wasn't because you wanted a private dinner with her. It's no. something that he normally does. It's so. just a standing thing he has on that specific day of the week. With the restaurant, yeah. Which sounds it's, nice. It's super bougie. Let's call it what it is. Like, it's over the top. Yeah. And Hideo lets Amika know that the locations that were being noted in the gambling den were places where the largest events are happening for the Warcross Championships. Right. Which sounds like a bombing is going to happen at all these events, or maybe Or something really bad, yeah. Like, something is going to go down there. Yeah. And they also come up with a method to getting around all of Ren's protective shields by giving her something that, if they interact together in the game, will kind of, like, break down his shield. The little, like, uh, noose-like knot tie or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. All she has to do is grab his arm and... You know, then it gets tied to him. Yeah. But after they get down to business, they start discussing their family lives and personal history. 
And she kind of questions him about his bloody knuckles and references, like, the memory that she saw without letting him know that she saw his memory. Yeah. And basically, he gets called off to business and wants to know when he can meet up with her again. She's like, I don't know when I'm going to have anything to report. And he's like, no, just to spend time with you. And that definitely, like, she was unsure before then. But that definitely set it up on a golden tease where it was just obvious. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely see in this book, like, her relationship really build with, like, at least this half of the book, I should say, the relationship really, really build a strong bond between the two of them. So, like, the family moments, too. Like, dare we go into, like, the trip to see his parents or whatever. Yeah. It was nice to see that bond grow beyond just what we knew was actually there. Like, we knew it was happening. It's just finally to see it play out. I think that because of what I know about how this book ends, I actually don't like that part of the book. But when you're reading it, you don't know how it's going to end. Right. So that's why it kind of grows on you a little bit. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest, I was like, yes, they're finally getting together. This is so great. And then it was just like, at the end, as you were saying, it's just like, oh God, it's imploding everywhere. What are we doing? I think I always kind of had a problem with it, even before I knew how this book ends, simply because it is an employee-employer situation, technically. And as an American, you're taught that's not allowed. Well, also, there is a power imbalance there, so like... But she's not necessarily an employee of the company. She's a third-party contractor is more or less what she is. But she's still going to get paid by him. So that lessens her ability to say no, even if she didn't like him. Of course, she does like him, so she doesn't want to say no. But yeah. as I say, she's had the fangirl fascination for a number of years. So, Well, that's a whole different power struggle if you want to get into that, because there's the whole issue of this is someone that she didn't really know at all. And she had like this obsessed passion for him or fascination with him from childhood. And so... Yeah. That has always also been a power imbalance. So, like, there's two different ways you can argue that she doesn't have as much ability to say no or voice her opinion. Right. But I think Amika is a strong enough character that she does. And so, like, it's less of an issue than it could be. Right. But he is pretty kind to her because on the day of her first official Warcross games. He wishes her good luck and like they have a cute little conversation together. Right. But in the second Warcross game, well, it's not the second one because there were other ones that were played. You just didn't really see them that much. But the one where she's able to lasso Ren, Ren, she's basically being told not to do it. So you start to see like the mission over games type situations and like i get the motivation behind it but i was like girl eventually you're gonna get trapped and obviously in one of the latter games she does yeah and so it's just like it it becomes for the relationship not for what she's actually there to do like more so than anything it seems like the mission isn't the mission anymore it's just i love hideo and i need to protect him At at least that's the way it seemed to me at least a little bit like she was focused on the mission for a different reason than she originally was, like, in, in my opinion, anyways. Okay. I think I really enjoyed seeing the mission where she ends up getting the information out of Ren. And, like, it's outside of what this book is technically about because Warcross isn't really the point of Warcross. Right. But 
it's one of those things where like, well, I'd I'd want to play that game. That sounds fun. Yeah. And I feel like the author does a really good job of putting you in that world and putting you in the game and making it completely clear what's happening throughout the whole thing, despite the fact that it's very fast-paced. But at the end of that game, she ends up picking up the name of a program, and it is called Project Ice HT10, but she doesn't have full access, I believe, but she comes up with what she thinks is the whole point of that, which is that Zero wants to assassinate Hideo. He wants to ice him, mobster terms. I love it. And thank goodness she did, because literally like seconds before he was actually being shot at, he got the message. Yeah. So security team was able to react to it. So after they come out of the game that the Phoenix Riders had won, all the lights go out. She manages to get a message to Hideo that he's in danger, and then gunshots happen. Right. She goes running off to find him, which I feel like is a mistake, because it's like, you're still undercover here. You're not supposed to be, like, running off to figure out what's happening with your boss. Yeah, it's definitely where her cover was partially blown, for sure. She also tries to convince him that he needs to leave, like, the whole city, the whole country. And get out. And he says he's not going anywhere. And that's when they go out to their karaoke bar to celebrate their win and, I guess, celebrate being alive. Well, yeah. But it wasn't necessarily celebrating being alive. It was more celebrating the victory itself. Because, like, there's no fear of dying in the Warcross game. Well, I meant the whole everything that happened in the Dome. But I guess the excuse that they came out with about that kind of explained away the gunshots so no one thought they were in danger, really. Right. But Amika goes to meet up with Hideo a little while into the karaoke, which, again, I think is... A dumb idea for cover reasons. messing up her cover, but then again, she's never gone undercover before, so who can blame her? Right. But she takes her board out to his house in the pouring rain, of course, and... He gives her some clothes to change into, and she takes a shower, and that's when the romance kicks up a notch. Well, because he, at that point, gives her the, like, secret way to communicate through their minds, basically, right? Like, yeah. So, like, they can feel each other's feelings, and it's like, oh, I as soon as they said that, I'm like, here comes the dirty parts. Well, I mean, it doesn't really get that Right. Bad. I didn't, ex- I kind of expected it to, but it didn't get to that point, because obviously it's a YA book. Yeah. I mean, some books that are labeled YA get pretty dirty and shouldn't be labeled YA, but I feel like part of the thing that also helps to kind of lower her guard and allow her to get, like, romantic with him is that he's finally opening up about the fact that he had a brother who disappeared, but he doesn't, like, actually get that deep into it, but at least he's starting to open up. Right. And that's when they kiss. Now that the link is there and they've discussed some of the heavier topics. Right. But that's really as far that as it ends up getting. Yeah. In that moment anyways. Yeah. And in the next couple of days, the other teams are all duking it out for spots in the next round. So they're just training and doing stuff like that when Ren basically tells Amika that he knows that 
she was there and knows who she is and all the things. What she's up to. Right. And then she gets a message from Hideo wanting to meet up so that he can show her his family home. So they take a car and drive out there, and it takes a while because they're on the very, like, outskirts, I believe. Yeah, they practically live in the mountains, basically, is the way it's described, I think, in the book. So, like, way out in Timbuktu. But it seems like, you know, Hideo's parents are very kind people and very sweet, but it seems like there's just something dragging them down. Right. And we know that Hideo's brother has disappeared, basically, at this point, I believe. Yeah, sort of, kind of. Or that he had a brother, but now That he had a brother and that there... There weren't even any pictures of him in the house or anything like that, like, in his parents' house, because it brings up, like, bad juju, basically, for them. Yeah. And, like, throws them down an even worse spiral, so. But you definitely know there's something up. Yeah. But eventually, Hideo shows her the hot spring that is in their yard, so they go and spend some time there. He shows her the hot spring. It's, I don't know why that's in air quotes. He does. Yeah. It, but it, he has ulterior motives. Right, 100%. They also discuss her tattoos, which is, you know, a boy move. <laughs> Be like, oh, what does this tattoo mean? I, I, I want to touch your tattoos. And then they finally get to talking about, I believe you pronounce it Sasuke, which is his brother's name. Would it be Sasuke? Possibly. Because that sounds... More right. But, again, this is the first time I've read the book, so I don't want to judge the people that are like, this is my favorite book, how dare you say it wrong? And she wants to know what happened, so he shares his memory, which how young he is would make you think that's not possible, but he said that he remembered every last detail of what happened when he was nine and Sasuke was seven, and that he reconstructed this moment for himself in his memory and then shows it to her. And so they're in the park. and well, They're walking to the park and then Sasuke is trying to like run away from him. Like, slow down. We have time. And they're laying out the groundwork for this game that is pretty similar to Warcross in some aspects, even though it's in the real world. And basically there are red and blue colored... Eggs. Eggs, and that you have to get your own color and stuff like that. Right. The other person is hiding your eggs from you. Yeah. And while they're doing that, Hideo's brother disappears in the park. And Hideo is really scared, really afraid, running around, screaming his name, trying to find him. When he can't, he ends up going back to the house and telling his parents... Like, I lost him. I can't find him. He went back to the house hoping that he went home. Right. And then they were like, where's your brother? And he was like, what do you mean? And then started explaining, like, he disappeared while we were setting up this game. And then everybody started looking for him. And clearly we were unsuccessful, so. Yeah. And that's when the memory ends. And he's talking about, like, his anguish over what happened to him, how it's his fault, and how... He wishes he could go back and change even one aspect of what happened that day, so hopefully he wouldn't go missing. Yeah, so, like, he has some interior battles in himself that are, including, like, going back and changing one thing just to see how it would actually play out, because the memory itself is a rebuilt. It's not the original memory. It's just, like, how he remembers it, and he's updated it with, like, as much information as he can. 
it was I played it out like a hundred different ways, and it, they all ended differently. Some of them good, and some of them bad. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, yeah, that's a tough interior battle to have to fight inside yourself, like mentally. And Amika says he invented Warcross for his brother, and he came out and said everything I do is for my brother. Yeah, which is foreshadowing if you know how this book ends. Yeah, that's when it started triggering the thought process for me of who Zero was. So. But it didn't quite trigger enough because obviously I still fell for the Yeah, you were surprised. But also Hideo is talking about how, like, he never talks about his brother and what happened. So it's showing a vulnerability that Amika kind of, like, appreciates and understands. And after that, they end up having dinner with Hideo's parents. And it's the cute, like, everyone's making fun of the dude. Like, they're ganging up on him and stuff. So, like, the way dinners work with my family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or when you're with my family. Yeah. Seems a little unfair to an extent, just ganging up on each other. So maybe you should stop. And vice versa. But then it's on to game three. And, of course, Hideo's being all cute and sweet and wishing her luck and all this crap. They go in, and that's when things start to go... Haywire? Sideways. Yeah. Because ends up someone hacks their way into that level that they're in. Yeah, and which is out where Ren's location is, so nobody else knows where he actually is. And so Amika tries to follow Ren and ends up getting trapped in like this cave cavern. But to her teammates, it looks like she's just trapped. No, it looks like she's being like this arrogant player doing what she wants and like messing crap up for everyone. Yeah. And while that's happening, she's having a conversation with Zero. Zero basically offers her the opportunity to work for him, not against him, and starts to make threats like, I'll attack you if you don't, basically, and your friends, more or less. That's where you kind of see the really, really bad side of Zero all of a sudden. Yeah. And it turns out that the Phoenix Riders very barely get a win, and it all could have been messed up because of Amika and everything that happened with her and Zero. But pretty much immediately after that happens, Zero has leaked a grainy photo of Amika and Hideo kissing. So the news is out about their relationship. The whole ride back, basically it's just the tabloids talking about the two of them being together and all that stuff. Yeah. And that pretty much self-destructs her team onto her in a sense that like, Oh, so this is what you've been doing instead of right. being around us. like. And, like, technically that means that her hacker job hasn't been ruined because she's got the cover of her relationship with him for all of her weird behaviors. But at the same time, like, it's, it's not a good look considering he runs Warcross and you're one of the people playing in it. Right. But she ends up coming out and saying it's just a game and they're all like, excuse me? It's a what now? Yeah. Like, this is literally how we make our living. Hammy was like, this is how I paid for my sister to go to a good university. Like, all sorts of things like that. Yeah. So, But after their fight, there ends up being an explosion in their dorm. And they end up explaining it away as a faulty gas line. Because, of course, that's what would cause that. But it puts everybody more or less in the hospital for at least a day or two, it seemed. Yeah. And that's when... Amika finds out that she's been pulled from the Warcross games, and I believe Ren also got pulled. Ren got arrested. (laughs) 
a little bit different. He was being interrogated, whereas she was just resting peacefully in a hospital bed. Yeah. But then Hideo visits her in the hospital, and she's like, you can't do this to me. And he's like, I can do this to you. I can, and I will. Yes. But he's saying he's trying to protect her. That's questionable by the end of the novel. And then Hammy and Roshan come in at one point as well and are like, you need to fess up to what's going on. Yeah. And she's like, I can't right now, but I'll I'll get back with you, basically. And then she ends up having that conversation with the three of her old teammates, Roshan, Hammy, and Asher, and kind of starts putting a plan into place to how to foil Zero's plans. Despite the fact that Hideo has technically pulled her from the hacking job and like... Paid her off. Just been like, and now you're done. Thanks for your work. Right. As well to, uh, God, what's the guy's name? Like, uh, right now from the other team. That was also one of the... Tremaine. Tremaine, yeah. So Tremaine ends up coming to her, like, out of the blue. Just a random invite. Like, like she doesn't know who it's even coming from to chat. And Tremaine gives her a file that he was able to acquire from one hunter to another. Yeah. And she technically doesn't know it's Tremaine. Yeah. But he ends up coming in and talking to her about it, and he's basically given her the other piece of that file she found and couldn't open, and he's also admitted that he's been dropped from the job as well. The file ends up being one of Ren's memories. Of, like, a secret meeting amongst all the people that are trying to help uh, zero out with the hacks. And he's basically explaining that the track that he was mixing is going to be used in the... To trigger the final... In the final world is going to trigger all of the rigged artifacts. Yeah. And during the final game, Zero is going to switch out the artifacts and replace them with corrupted ones, ones containing a virus on them that is going to activate every Neurolink user. To do something... It doesn't say what it's going to end up doing. Right. And then that's when they all team up to come together with a plan for the final game that they're going to be in without her, technically, and she's been replaced with someone, I believe, from England. Yeah. In the plan that they have developed, they have to break into, like, an auction house for high-quality and or stolen power-ups for Definitely stolen artifacts. And things that they can insert into a game of Warcross. And Emika has to use a lot of the money that she was given by Hideo in order to purchase these things. And doing so ends up putting her in a pretty dangerous spot. Yeah, because she ran out of funds and ended up having to steal one of them. And all hell breaks loose in the auction house. Conveniently, her teammates were there in disguise to help her otherwise... I, when I was reading it the second time, I was like, I don't know how she's going to get out of this. And then that happened. I was like, wait, I've read this book before. Why am I surprised? I figured they were there considering they were part of the planning process, but I didn't know that like they were literally going to be disguised as some of the actual security bots. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was a little weird. I liked it. Yeah. Oh, I did too. I think it was great, but it was just strange. And it ends up Going on to the day of the final, it's Phoenix Riders versus Andromeda. I had trouble with this world, actually, trying to picture everything, because in my mind, I didn't understand, like, the layout of the world. So, metal circle holding back the ocean. Yeah. There were amounts of water already there around these giant metal bridges that didn't connect necessarily, and 
there were mech suits on the exterior of the circle, and you started in the middle, I think is kind of the way it was. Yeah. The way I thought of it more so than anything was kind of like Mockingjay-esque almost, where like they, they're on that weird island in the middle and they all have to run to the outsides where they have the clock and stuff like that. You mean Catching Fire. Catching Fire, I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 But that's that's kind of like the same. A similar layout. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I figured it was kind of like. Um, I just feel like it was under-explained in the book, in my opinion. I thought it did just fine, personally, but maybe that's the difference of opinions. But yeah. But that, that's where my brain immediately went, and probably thanked the ADD for that. Just going like, world the world, mash. The mech suits were just crazy. Yeah. So. I really liked those, and Mika has to kind of glitch into the system so that she takes over for the player that had replaced her. Without anybody seeing it happen. Yeah. She has to wait for that slow dude to get into his freaking mech. Yeah. <laughs> And Zero kind of does the same thing with someone from the other team. So he's fighting it out with her as well. Yeah. In this big giant, like, two teams against each other fight. She pretty quickly pushes that update to, like, unglitch the hacked artifact artifact of her Mm -hmm. team immediately. And then the battle between Zero and her for the last artifact was just super intense. And after the battle, you kind of find out that she was in the wrong I mean, we find out that Zero's whole plan was stopping Hideo, and that's sort of the end of that chapter. It's like, well... Stopping Hideo's evil plan, yeah. Stop, stopping Hideo from doing what? Yeah. And so after the game, she ends up trying to contact Hideo to figure out what's going on. Right. And Hideo's angry because he's like, I told you to leave, I paid you off, what are you still doing here? Yeah. Basically. You start to see the angry Hideo side, not the loving, caring, you're my girlfriend Hideo. Yeah, and like, she thought that Zero's plan was to destroy the Neuralink based off the evidence that she had. When the reality is he just wanted to protect the people that used it. Yeah. And so Hideo ends up sharing that link with her so that he has a better way of explaining what his plan was. And basically his whole plan was to use the Neuralink to alter people's actions. Via mind control? Yes. And part of that is with the new contact lenses that film over the eyes still maintains their method of control even when you're not fully wearing the contacts. Yeah. Which is why I had a problem with that in the beginning. And so he's talking about how the Neuralink has adapted and changed and how it's not just all you're impacting the program, but now the program's impacting you and your actions. And he shows how it stopped someone from robbing a grocery store, was it? Or Like a corner like market or like liquor store, yeah. Yeah. And she's talking and just saying, you can't do this. What do you mean you're trying to control everyone? And talking about how he's trying to be a dictator. And he's like, no, I'm trying to have the algorithm make people be better people. Yeah. And it's so like, well, but who same controls, thing. Yeah. who controls the algorithm? Right. Like, I could see the purpose of its existence, but at the same time, it's like, if you don't let humans be human, then why are we even human? Well, and like, she had a point about, what about people who are fighting for peace, people who are protesting, you're just going to control them and make it so they can't? Yeah, you're just going to balance out their thought process and not allow them to do those things, which is awful. But he has so much power and control already that 
she feels like she can't do anything. Right. And, of course, she breaks up with him. Go figure. Yeah. And she also, during that conversation, says, I'm going to stop you. And he said, I don't want to be your enemy, but I'm going to do this with or without you. Right. And so later after that conversation, the group has gathered around her team plus Tremaine talking about what happened. And she says that she saw Zero glitch into view during the game at the end. And Tremaine's like, you saw him too? Yeah. And they were talking about how he had his opaque helmet and a null name, just like Mika does when she's hacking. But it turns out that all of his data has been exposed. And it turns out because she was recording the game for she was herself. Able to get that information via the data. Yeah. yeah. So she was able to see that he is actually Sasuk or Sasuka, Sasuki Tanaka. And that was, for me, the first time I read it, the most shocking thing of the whole book. And she wasn't sure if it's really him or if it's someone else. And then the last thing in the book is Zero giving Amika her memories back because she, she had had them taken right. by him. As a early on punishment for trying to fight against them. That's pretty much where it wraps up. So like now going to this next book, like the big thing that you really want is... The closure on which side is she going to pick, which is why I'm so excited to read the next book. So, Yeah, I think because I rated it like 3.5 or 3.75 the first time around, I didn't necessarily feel inclined to read the next book. But now that I have read this one with you, I'm actually more interested in the next book. Try to figure out what's going on. Yeah. But uh, we'll be reading the first half of it this week, and we'll be discussing it next week on the podcast. So. We appreciate you guys listening in today, which is a little longer, but the good news is the sports episode was a little shorter this week, so it kind of balanced out. But in the meantime, making sure you're checking in with us on all of our social media, which will be linked in the show notes. And we'll catch you next week, guys. Bye. Bye.